Welcome to Sin City. Get ready for in-depth chat on new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you cinephiles. Only on CMRU.ca and Feel Loud Images. And now, to your host, Nick Manenses. Hello there, and welcome back to The City. I am your host, Nick, and I'm joined today by two of my greatest friends here on MRU campus. I give you the Big Ben, Ben Goodman, and Adam Solway, the um, the Adam's apple. So, <laughs> and today you've made it just in time because we're doing an episode that has been a year in the making. And of course, it's the PTA meeting, and not just any parent-teacher association meetings, but Paul Thomas Anderson. And what better way to have this episode than have two of the biggest PTA fans I know. Before we dive deep into his films, I want to talk a bit more about what is it that makes him tick. Like, let's start with you, Ben. Like, there are many, many directors that are our favorites. What is it that made PTA land in your number one spot? Oh boy, I'm just... Uh, I love the ensemble stuff. I always like, and I'm from like... He's so good juggling ensembles and just he's great with the camera, but it's never like that showy. And like from the 90s stuff, like he was obviously really emulating Robert Altman and Martin Scorsese with Boogie Nights and stuff. But then he kind of got his own sort of style from There Will Be Blood, became his own kind of thing. And now he's kind of just, I don't know. It's just because it's interesting because like, I mean, like his father is Ernie Anderson, who is this like great voiceover like from like did like all the abc saturday night movies from the 70s and 80s so like and he grew into san fernando valley which is why like half of his movies are set there so write what you know including like licorice pizza so coming back to his roots um i don't like just in terms of i guess we'll discuss this more like but to crystallize it um i don't know and like the he, he's always uh, here's another okay I'm sorry, I'm developing this as I'm talking. Yeah. This is not an essay. I'm not failing. Um, uh, let me. Th- <laughs> but like, he is not full of himself. Like you, you might think like you watch There Will Be Bloods, like oh, this is a serious movie. But he's like the chillest dude. Like he talks about how like he watches like workaholics and like he's into like he's like he directed stuff for SNL during like Jimmy Fallon years. I mean, obviously married to Maya Rudolph, and he's like the least snobbish person, even though you think he's, he's just he's auteur, like, just, like, bow before him. But, like, he, like, takes the piss of himself. And, like, my all-time favorite movie, which we'll talk about, Magnolia, he will take, he's he will be the first to take the piss of it. Like, he's talking about, like, if what would you tell, like, a young Paul about making Magnolia? He was like, like, I would tell him to, can I curse? Oh, definitely. Go for it. I would tell him to chill the fuck out and cut 20 minutes. <laughs> and, like, so just, he's, like, he's the least, like, pompous thing. And just that his all of his movies have humor. And even down to the master and stuff. Like, he talks about he watches the master. I'm going over the place. And, like, he talks about how Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance of the master, like, makes him laugh out loud. Because <laughs> he likes the serious of it. Like, the more serious it is, he's just, like, laughing like it's a comedy and stuff. But just, I don't know all the place. But just... I'm a big comedy guy. I love the drama and like the emotion in a lot of his movies and just a lot of like surrogate family stuff. Um, I don't know, all that stuff wrapped into one. There's some answer in there. <laughs> oh, definitely. No, no, no. I totally agree with everything you said. You're right. He is 
for a guy who makes very serious artistic art house movies, he is, yeah, he's a pretty down to earth guy. In fact, it helps too that he is an advocate for superhero movies even. In fact, when he first went to film school, he dropped out because his professor said that Terminator 2 is not true cinema, which yeah. caused him to say, screw this, I'm out of here. And oh, at the yeah. same time, you mentioned to me, he watch. he also is a huge advocate of Adam Sandler movies, which deserve yeah. lots more love and appreciation too. Not to I, mention, he worked with him once. A couple of things. It's like, I remember, I was actually watching a couple months ago the con press conference when Punch Drunk Love Heads world premiere. And like every fucking question, I'm just, I'm going, the floodgates are open. It's like all these like French, like snobby journalists, for lack of a better word, are like, oh, like what a straight, like working with Adam Sandler, like why? Like just, and it's like, I think he's funny. He's just like, I think, I may like, I, he's like, he's a big advocate for Big Daddy. It's his favorite. Like he saw Big Daddy. He's like, okay, let me just, let me get him. And then another thing, just in terms of like him being popular, like, not to throw shade, love Tarantino. Very full of himself. And he's made this grand pronouncement of like, 10 movies and I'm out. I'm retiring after 10 movies. And it's just like he's been saying this for years. And he's, But Paul gave this interview with Variety like a couple weeks ago for Tiger Licorice Pizza. And he was like asked about that. Because also they're very closely linked, him and Quentin. They're yeah. kind of like all that stuff. Um, but Paul was like, like, I, like who, like, I, I'm, I'm going to keep movies, keep movies until like I can, but just, I'm not going to make any grand pronouncements because it's like he feels like if he were to say that, it's like he's entering the party and he's like, well, I'm leaving. And it's like, no, who cares? Like, just like leave then. Like, don't keep making this. I know that's part of Quentin's thing. And no offense to Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> His ego's big enough. Oh, no. Yeah. In fact, now you mentioned that Tarantino and Anderson, yeah, they're pretty similar in almost every way. The fact that they started out as... They didn't even go to film school as an education. In fact, they didn't go to the movies. The movies went to them. They simply right. followed out of a simple love and passion for films, really. And, of course, we must give credit where credit is due to the influences and inspirations. And if I can name them off the top of my head, Paul Thomas Anderson's biggest influences are Jonathan Demme, which is yeah. his favorite, rest in peace, mm. Robert Altman, yeah. Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, and... Uh, Robert Downey Sr., and of course, Stanley Kubrick, which I mentioned to Adam Mason before. Anderson is pretty much like Stanley Kubrick. If Kubrick wasn't such a terrifying, <laughs> yeah, uh, a prima donna, like director. a humanistic yeah. Kubrick, you know, like it treats humans good. Exactly. Yeah. Love right. Kubrick, but yeah, yeah, between color, right? But not to take, but of course, we're not here to talk about Kubrick, but I feel out of we all know how he influenced all these different directors working today, but I feel Anderson is the most influenced by Kubrick. I feel like they follow similar styles, aesthetics, and themes even, which we'll get to right now. Because as I mentioned before uh, in this essay I wrote before for Abdi, which you edited, is that most movies are plots with characters. But in Anderson's case, the character is the plot. Oh, yeah. Like we are following the, it's all about the human condition. Like oh, yeah. I love how he shows how like hum, the humans in his, the characters in his movies, they, he doesn't treat them like characters, mm -hmm. but more like, like you, like you, like me, all of us, like actual human beings, like damaged individuals, uh, troubled souls. It, sure. I think that's why we, all of us here love his movies because they're more very, you know, down to earth. Yeah. 
Also, I'm damaged, so I like it too. <laughs> yeah, I think I really like like what you talked about there. Like, I think one of his films, I really like exemplifies that. And so, one of my favorites too is The Master. It's just like how, you know, that film is like, it, you know, you can look at it in like a pessimistic way and say, oh, it's inconsequential. It's just this drifter going throughout this, finds this weird cause of people and joins it, and then kind of leaves afterwards. But like, that's like the the film, right? Just following like this guy, like going through all these experiences and stuff like that and and you know some people liked it some people didn't dig it and some people focus on like the, the scientology aspect and like right. this is like you know um indictment on l ron hubbard or something like that but i don't know i, I saw like a sort of like a, a sweetness of like you know a relationship between like freddie qual and like the master yeah. and stuff and that, yeah. that, that's what i took away from it and that whole like number of the that song they sing together at the end was just like oh my yeah, god yeah. just such a, a tender moment but yeah that's I, I really agree with that, that point there. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And at the same time, as as I've in this these past two years, I've really grown to appreciate the slow burn quality of films. Cause let me tell you this, 15-year-old me would not accept a slow burn film. You know how it was back then. I was I was young, naive, foolish, didn't quite understand the complexities of storytelling and filmmaking. And today I am actually two out of three of those qualities. And yes, because yeah, it's not it feels very natural as if everything is happening in real time because all Thomas Anderson films, we're not it doesn't feel like I'm watching a movie. It feels like I'm watching life and ravel itself and life doesn't go by fast it goes by very very slow and anderson another thing i noticed from anderson's film is that he's good at mood whiplash because one moment things go also camera whiplash exactly (laughs) like like one moment things go very calm and soothing and then he pulls the rug right from under us like one moment you're having a birthday party with your seven sisters and then the next you have adam sandler breaking the fuck out your windows (laughs) and the next you have uh a guy having a normal conversation with this other guy only to then have his brain splattered by a bowling pin it's just very unpredictable really it's I also thinking of William H. Macy and Boogie Nights, like, you know, the whole thing he goes, his wife's been mm. fucking around. I'm, <laughs> this was an NC-17 podcast. Works works for the director. But, like, he's, like, finally, he just has enough at the New Year's Eve party and just, like, blows his brain, like, shooting and just, and I love it. It's a cut, like, it's that cut, and it's, like, 1980. Yeah. We're entering the 80s. <laughs> Everything's going downhill. And it, oh, another pattern I noticed it and all that scene, all done with one long continuous take. Oh which, my god! Yeah. My god! Yeah. I, I, I Boogie Nights in particular, he's right. just like showing off and having the time of his life with those <laughs> long does, takes. Yeah. yeah, I just I mentioned this many times before, but I am a huge fan of the long continuous take. It's actually one of my favorite camera movement ever. It feels like you're following the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Anderson isn't the first director to do this, sure. but some directors. They usually do this just to show off how cool the shot is, but here it serves is serving a purpose and telling the story. It yeah. feels like it puts you in the space, like mm-hmm. like going to like um like the house in Boogie Nights. There's a lot of continuous like go to the pool party, and yeah. of course Magnolia. It's like you're entering the quiz the quiz show, like the whole oh, like yeah. rush of like oh they're preparing the show, which very relatable. We're doing all this broadcasting <laughs> stuff that's very relatable yeah. stuff, like the rushing of a production, and not like it's like a two at least a two minute shot of just going around the windy place and it's, yeah so like again it's not showy for the sake of it. it's not like look at me it just puts you in 
like the frenzied headspace of the quiz show happening. Exactly. And it really feels like we are in the perspective of these characters. In Boogie Nights, the whole party scene, it shifts perspectives between uh, the uh, Dirk Diggler yeah. and his boss. It really feels like we are, f we're not just, we're not just, watching the characters. We are the characters. We are entering their own damaged, private, individual worlds. Mm -hmm. It's genius, really. And again, that's another influence, another Kubrickian influence he borrows, the, the steady cam. Just oh, yeah. genius, really. Oh, yeah. And like I mentioned about the characters, none, and I mean none of the characters fit any particular archetype or stereotype. No one is a, there are no such thing as heroes or villains or mm -hmm. black and white. They each have, we don't want that. We want someone who has flaws, failings of their own, oh, with yeah. the exception of one character, which I think is Daniel Plainview. Like, I think out of all the other characters, he is probably the, like, the most evil of all yeah. of Anderson's protagonists. Yeah. Really. And I think that, that's like one of, like, well, I'm saying like uh, Thurby Blood's like one of my my favorites like from him because I think it's like his masterpiece. But like I I, I don't know I, I think I like Thurby Blood for like a, like different reasons. Like I I should I sh like Daniel Plainview and his his kind of like arcs throughout the film, but also just like the way that time passes in that film. Right. Like it's just like like you know, just Daniel Plainview he he gets his son he, he goes yeah. to little Boston he gets this well gets all this wealth all these wells and then then after that he gets what he wants and then you know he kills his uh you know his half brother and stuff like that and yeah. then he gets what he wants and then it just cuts to like 20 years later and it's just a beautiful sequence I, I i can't really explain it but it's just like when he's like in the um the train station there you see eli going to the train and mm. just like it's just like a beautiful moment of like you know time went on and then his like his son got married and then you know and then he has a confrontation with his son, and then you know that's the reason why he's like yeah. getting drunk at the end and, and stuff like that. And just I don't know, it 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 kind of humanizes like a really like you know really like awful person. But like yeah. I don't know, that, that's that's what I really take away from that. And film. like as you're mentioning that, like you're talking about like it's that's like because from going up to like Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Punch Drunk Love, like those are like frenzy movies. Yeah. And, and if I can mention this, and he's publicly admitted this, he was like fully on coke making Magnolia, like just oh. constantly, <laughs> really? and it's like a cocaine yeah. movie, like crazy. Yeah. And just there's a there's an amazing making up documentary on Magnolia, and you can see that not him, like you know, but just the like, frenzied state. But just it's funny, but yeah. then when when goes from there would be blood, and how much that departure that was in yeah. a sense of just how kind of gradual mm. it moves, like the slow transitions into like the yeah. next scene like that would never happen in the previous movies mm -hmm. and just it was great that he just took it and then just yeah so yeah i kind of just put that together <laughs> it was it was yeah and and you know, like to your point Adam, yeah like really good job at how he humanized this like despicable asshole like <laughs> even yeah. his films if there's a character who appears to be good they have their own flaws and if there's a character who happens to be bad they have their own good qualities really and and yeah, because we as humans, as you you and I both very well know, are very complex, exceptional individuals. Like we all have, as with the characters in PTA's films, we all have our own uh, inherent vices, <laughs> like with like, like drugs, titillation, elation, and yeah. love how he portrays that to the most realistic way possible. And with that said. I think it's time now we take a dive deep into his films. It doesn't matter which order we go, but mm -hmm. I think I'll start with the latest one I've seen, Boogie Nights. Because yeah. that film, 
I re- I read online that Anderson, this is like a love letter he made for himself ha- as mm-hmm. a director who started in the whole VHS at VHS era. Yeah, the one of the most pivotal scenes I'm gonna botch it so hardcore is like when um the Philip Baker Hall character comes in. He's talking about they're the video from doing the film thing, and it's like. Yes, it's technically a movie about porn and all that stuff, but like he's like getting through Paul's getting through all the stuff about like the changing of formats and just like the permanence of film, like just all that stuff. Like it's a great, so it's like a movie about filmmaking at the end of the day. So don't get like necessarily hung up on the porn stuff, which I mean, he was he'd watch that stuff to get the influence and all that, but just yeah, I forgot I'm blanking on the scene, but like it, but that whole scene, like the, the kind of clash, remember Nick Nicholas. I just call you Nicholas for <laughs> going your full name treatment for talking about porn. I don't know what but just yeah, it's like it was such a like this clash. Like he comes in there, like oh, like we're moving a videotape, moving a video, but it's like because it's faster and cheaper, yeah. essentially. Is yeah. what I'm trying to get at. Well, yeah. rather than the slow process of film, and Burt Reynolds is like he is like the auteur of like porn in a sense, and just yeah. like he doesn't want like and it's the whole thing of yeah. But. Yeah, it's always like I always find that that uh, scene pretty funny where like. You know they're filming and stuff, and then they they run out of the, the right. film and the, ca- <laughs> and the camera right. And he has to like change it. <laughs> right, like, you know the camera like you do the thing. <laughs> Such a funny thing. Well, like you know the scenes going on, they have to change the film. <laughs> you never would have like thought of that. Like you know, like but you know, no, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I was. I I really love this movie too. It's one of my top three uh, PTA's films too. And Mark Wahlberg is one of his best performances ever. And he really did pretty good at playing a guy in his late 20s, playing a character who's supposed yeah. to be 17 years old. <laughs> he was great. Two things about this, we probably both know, but just for public re- public record, it's a podcast. <laughs> is like, first off, Mark Wahlberg, since he's like a heavy Catholic, is like ashamed of this movie. And he's like, like kind of disowns it, which is insane because it's like oh. his best performance. And but, beyond the, but then the other thing is like the greatest, one of the greatest like what ifs in like movie that's a very grand, but in the 90s at least, Grace What Ifs, is, he, is Paul originally wanted Leo DiCaprio for Dirk Diggler. And uh, Leo, like he was gunning for him, turned it down to do a little movie called uh, Titanic. Oh, so he did Titanic and something I mean, worked out. Yeah. But this, this, just in terms of like what to think of, think of Leo <clears throat> in that role. And because Paul was a huge fan of what's even, even Gilbert Grape. And so just like young Leo, when we think of him like, you know, this established actor now, but just he was basically at the same age too. But that's just crazy thing about him. Right. Yeah. And very true. And yeah, your point, this is really one of his best performances ever. And also what I really love, it kind of reminded me a bit of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It helps too that this film takes place in LA, no right. less. <laughs> and at its core, I see it as a deconstruction on how, how you know, these A-star actors, how fame can really take a toll on your mental oh, yeah. health. Like how he starts out this pretty chill dude, but then he right. just turns into this grade A asshole who, oh my who just like, like a prima donna actor who <laughs> apparent who at the same time finds it, who's, yeah. who's on this ongoing quest to get a hard on, no less. Yeah. It makes sense in context to those who haven't seen the movie just yeah. yet. <laughs> This great performance of singing You've Got the Touch from the Transformers animated movie from the 80s. And Feel the Heat, of course, original him and John C. Riley. Incredible. The hubris. Just something about hubris. Like they think they're going to run a studio and like have a hit song. But like, just horrible. And of course, before we move on, I would like to give credit to 
three words, Philip Seymour Hoffman, because he oh, is yeah. like the face of all of PTA's films. PHS, he's like what Robert De Niro is to Martin Scorsese or Samuel L. Jackson to Quentin Tarantino. It's one of the greatest director-actor collaborations ever. And may he rest in peace, of course. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, no. it, it, he's such like a joy to watch in each one of his films, because right? he plays like these like supporting roles, but he just like steals the show in like every everything yeah and everything. just like I, I actually well i didn't get to finish it last night but i watched heart eight last night and like <laughs> mention this it's just such like a like a cool little moment of just like yeah i was like so surprised like, yeah. like phil timor hoppy's yeah. at the craft tables like taunting uh, he has Sidney's that character. one scene and just like owns yeah it. he owns it yeah it's like yeah just like, those little like quirks about him like just being subtly annoying to like an asshole and then like yeah sydney like turns like heart eight bed on him and just like turns it around on him and just like and there's such a like and it was it goes beyond like they were so deeply close to each other, Paul and mm -hmm. Philip, and just and like kind of jumping ahead, but with Licorice Pizza starring his son Cooper, and like he was asked in the same Variety article, Paul, but like what made you think? Because he's basically done nothing, Cooper. Like it's not like he has a mm -hmm. big resume. Yeah. And like he said, like he like he acted in like family movies together. Like when they hang go to vacation and stuff. Like he filmed him and stuff. Like he knew him like as a kid and stuff and just given the all that and just it's so touching right? that's again we're getting to that and then like because i'm gonna botch the quote so please look up the con press conference of punch drunk love because philip Seymour hoffman's also there of course and he like he talks about he was asked like why do you work with him so much like what's the collaboration and and he just like gets very sincere to say like like i'll always be there and hopefully i like he says this and it's like fucking it's good, like crushing. It's like until one of us dies, like I'll keep working with him. And oh, just like it yeah. truly, like just like that those were like they those are their their people. Like that and just and it's just true. It's yeah. really touching. Yeah. And again, uh that's also one of the things that sets Anderson apart from Kubrick as well. Cause I don't know if you know this, but in all of Kubrick's films, not to, to stay off topic, of course, but uh in all of his films, most of his actors star in one of his movies, but they never come back again after that. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. There was this like moment, like I, I remember seeing on YouTube, I came across it. There's just like this behind the scenes footage of like, um, it was on Magnolia. It was like in yeah. between scenes of like just Phil and like uh, Phil and Paul just like joking around on set. Yeah. And it was just such like a, you know, you could tell it was there and they were just like joking around of like, I think Paul was like impersonating uh Philip, I think, or something. He's like <laughs> acting. He's like shaking. <laughs> like he just needs to do this, but he does like you know, touches the table, touches this, he looks at it here, and then like he goes over here, and then he does his lines and stuff like that. And you know, Philip is like killing oh, over and stuff. And it's such like a cool moment. You really see it there, and it's pretty much all the films they work together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And also good, good, good transition too, because that's the next one we'll get to. Magnolia, because. <laughs> yes, Ben, I I can see your happiness there. This is your favorite film of all time. And watching it, it's not hard to see why. It's, my God, this film is one train wreck of an emotion. It's <laughs> a, an emotional roller coaster. Oh and it takes a, and let me tell you, it takes an a emotional hurricane. Right? Yeah. No, right? This is like one, of, like one of the things that I'm really looking forward to. Because like Magnolia, for me, it's just such like a... Of, you know, like a shitstorm of like an enigma. And like, I, I've seen it a couple of times. And it's it's one that I've... I've like been sitting with for a long time and I'm, I'm excited to hear someone who like really like loves it to like really talk about it because like, yeah, it's just such like an interesting point in his career of like, yeah. you know, it's like Boogie Nights on steroids. 
It's like it really was like, and it was the thing of like he had complete like final cut, final everything, mm-hmm. like the most creative control to do whatever he wanted to do, and that's why he got free reign to do. And again, why he admits like decades later that maybe he should have cut stuff out, but you know, like that you're you're also your own harshest critic too. So just that's what happens. But it is like. Yeah, just like someone having complete control just to do whatever they want and just because then the, the personal aspect there is his father Ernie died in the interim and so much of the plot of um, I think the Stanley Ro- Jason Robards, the Jason Robards character comes from all that stuff. And like he also like I think his, Ernie Anderson like, was faithful, so I'm not putting into that, but like the quiz show, like the Philip Baker Hall character, like growing up on those sets and stuff like all so much of that movie is just personal. And just and like was like getting all this stuff out, like, you know, death of a father mm-hmm. growing up and stuff. And, of course, all from the San Fernando Valley, which he grew up in um, and just put all in. And just that was a big time in his life. And like also a very key thing in writing it was um, Amy Mann, who's one of my all time favorites. And the Magnolia soundtrack is just mm-hmm. one of my all time favorite albums of anything. Mm-hmm. And just I like, could go on about that. <laughs> but like he was listening to Amy Mann's music and just like there's the line in the song Deathly, which wasn't released at the time. It's like, now that I met you, could I ever put a blank? Now that we've met, like now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? Something like that. Like, for, and that's the line that Malora Wald, Walters says in it. And like he's like, then that's like all the songs get in there down to doing like wise up they're also doing wise up which like could be so cringe but like you're so in the movie and it's like two hours in and just like it works like everyone's going th- it's a movie like everyone's going through it at that yeah. point <laughs> so like they're all kind yeah. of just and like also i think he was told by michael penn who's amy man's wife and also a composer who composed some music for boogie nights and stuff like he was told about like the the rain of frogs down like which has actually happened right i hear it yes. so like which is like sounds like farcical, but it's like he that had idea came in. It was just it's kind of like a, it's like a kitchen sink movie. It's like all this stuff, and he just put it all into one thing. Um, I think he was dating Fiona Apple at the time, and like he got some of that stuff and like some revelations from there. But yeah, right, yeah, like this. Oh my god, I just can I don't know where to start. Like I mentioned before, this was one hell of a tearjerker and let me tell you it, ta- oh God, it takes yeah. a lot a lot for me to cry because this one made me yeah I, I kind of shed some tears in this one but it's just this is not magnolia this isn't a movie this is like we're watching life like i mentioned life yeah. itself unravel we're watching like this story of different individuals who are just al- alone isolated troubled and mm-hmm. I think I just love the message of it all, which I think it says that like we all need each other. We all yeah. need to connect. Like no one, and I mean no one can survive in this world alone. And it really it's really amazing. I watched this back to back with um uh, Boogie Nights, which kind of feels like a continuation because many, I mean many of the actors <laughs> Matt, from uh, Magnolia yeah. appear also in Boogie Night. Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman, John yeah. C. Riley, John C. Riley. I, I I love John C. Riley in Magnolia. I, by the way, love the mustache as well. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> he's like, he's such a he's such a sweetheart, and I, I'm I'm sure he's one outside of the camera as well. But mm-hmm. this is really one of his best performances. Like he's my favorite character in the movie. As oh, well. he's so good. Just very brief because I just wanted to pull up because there's like the direct line, like kind of plot line to describe the movie, and I think it describes it so well. Of course. It's a mosaic of interrelated characters in search of happiness, forgiveness, and meaning in the San Fernando Valley. 
Like that's the movie, but it just sounds kind of like highfalutin. But that is the movie. It's yeah. like a mosaic. Yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, that's where the title even comes in. The magnolia refers to it's a it's a flower where all of the petals are connected, which highlights the themes of interconnection. Uh, um, con- convenience. Um, no yeah. co- <laughs> shit. Coincidence. Mm-hmm. And I've heard also reviews that. Some people call Magnolia way too overlong or melodramatic, but yeah. really, those people can just shut up because I actually uh, it actually works. Because oh, yeah. where else will you get that pathos, that emotional roller coaster as well? And I actually didn't mind that it was long. In fact, I don't care anymore about the length of a movie. In fact, after there watching <laughs> after watching the Snyder Cut, every other movie feels pretty short to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Also, like, what are like like you know. Fucking a crazy performance by like uh, Tom Cruise. No, oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah, and I think that was like. Could you really get NC Seventeen to repeat what he says? But I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to. That would not yeah. be right for me to say. Yeah, it's great. Like I think that was like his only like Oscar performance too in that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a yeah, it's crazy. Just like <laughs> he's like this guru. He's just like you know. And saying to, all these crazy ass things. And, and like, to tie it to Kubrick, like Paul met Tom on the set of Eyes Wide Shut to right. convince him yeah. to be in the movie. And yeah. like those movies also came out the same year, Eyes Wide. Mm. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut like shot like for two, three years. But yeah. like, and if, <laughs> but just like what a what an insane year. Like I was, I saw this thing yesterday. It's like the fact that Tom like movies like who could say movies both by both Kubrick and Paul Tarantino in the same year. Yeah, like just. What a year. What a 1999. Year. 1999. The year I was born, actually, too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Miracle. And, right. And at the same time, the the rain of frogs, like, it kind of reminded me a lot of the, the, the Exodus story, which Anderson loves, apparently, because most of his films are based on the Exodus story. And, you know, the, the ten plagues of Egypt, how the second plague is uh, a sound of uh, frogs raining down from the sky, which... I think yeah. that's actually a good example of something called a Gainax ending. It's an ending that comes completely out of nowhere and right. it was never foreshadowed before. But I think what I the way I see it, there's a biblical aspect to it. I feel like it's literally like an act of God. And it is that act of God that made the character, all of the characters start fresh, begin yeah. a new array of hope and wasn't wasn't like there was like references to like the actual whatever Exodus um like passage or something? Yeah, there's like, the, number. the number. Was it thirteen? I think there's like a bunch of thirteens yeah. like Easter eggs, and I, or mm-hmm. I might be blank, I might be screwed. It was up like the some so yeah, some type of number. You can see it in like the so many TV shots. studio studio and stuff, and like yeah. everywhere. Was like, I thought it was a cool. Yeah, he show. he th- again whole kitchen sink in this movie. Yeah. He just went to town. <laughs> okay. And that's why, like, I'm, we're not going to get into this yet. I mean, well, I'm not the show. I'm not the host. What am I doing? <laughs> but that's why, like, for Punch Drunk Love, he wanted to do, like, the complete opposite. Like, he wanted to make a 90-minute movie. He wanted mm-hmm. to just, like, because how could, it's not like I'm going to follow up Magnolia with something identical. Because, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so much of it comes from personal. You don't want to go through the emotional ringer again. So, but. Right. Ryan. Yeah, no, before we move on, that's another thing I also, when I really noticed and appreciate about his films too, like Anderson's films, they're all pretty, all low budget and which really gives it that, you know, that realistic feel as well, that indie film look. And I, yeah, and I really, I really want to appreciate those small, low budget films yeah. really basically sends the message that anyone, and I mean anyone, can be a filmmaker, which also brings up to the next film, which you mentioned, Ben, Punch Drunk Love. Now, this film... I really, it kind of, in a way, it kind of converted me into a Sandman fan. As someone who's seen Uncut Gems lately, this was one of his 
this is one of Adam Sandler's best films ever. That's and, what I was calling Carly. Like everyone like like I love Punch Drunk Love, but it was always the thing of like as someone who likes like majority of Adam Sandler's movies, which don't hold it against me. But um was like, oh yeah, Punch Drunk Love, he was great. But you know, everyone else is shit. But he was he was actually acting there. <laughs> but now there's another one. Oh, he was actually acting on Cut Gems, but it's <laughs> love, love. Yeah. I'm just taking the piss. <laughs> but man, yeah. Man, this is love. Like, first off, yeah, this is uh, another trademark of um, Anderson. I like how his characters, they have some sort of ambiguous disorder, which really makes the characters even more yeah. flawed, humanistic, and realistic. And Sandler's, it feels strange seeing Sandler like this in a very, in a serious, there are moments of humor, of course, but there, of course, is mostly a serious film, too. And yeah. wow. Also love the color, the color blue as well. He really knows how to stand out in the yeah. crowd. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like one of the like my favorite like like scenes in there when he's like calling the um, uh, the whatever hotline. Like the yeah, like, yeah. And he was like in his apartment and stuff like that. That was like such like a really cool way of like presenting things. Of like you know the camera's like just in the middle of his apartment and he just following. You know, he sits yeah. down, and he stands up. Goes yeah. to the kitchen, you know, goes to the couch. That's so like, true. Yeah, just like there's a point where, like, I think the camera operator hits like a cabinet or something. Right. Kind of like <laughs> so natural. Yeah. You just... follow him so much in that movie. Like, like yeah. him thinking, like, it's just like, it's like, I guess this is similar where it is on cut, similar to Uncut Gems. I'm sure the Safdies would like admit to this, cribbing this, but just it is like a, like an anxiety attack, like these movies. Like, it's just mm. like he, it's just like he's going through, like, you know, like with the John Bryan score, which is incredible, like the harmonium, which is yeah. left in the street, and then they use it in the score. It's just like, oh man, he's in it. He Sandler's so in it right now, and like it gets, it's like the snowball of just stuff happening, and you're yeah. like, oh boy, like I don't know, I don't know how this is gonna end up. And I go, that's why I like envious of you, Nick, watching it. Like, like what, like what you thought going into, like as you're watching it, like what's gonna happen? Like you, you don't know what's like. Yeah. Like what worse could happen here? Right. right, yeah, and and that also brings me to one question for you guys. Like, what did you guys think the symbolism between with the org, the piano, or the organ men? Because everything comes with a purpose. But to me, I feel that represents uh, the start of a relationship. Because right. usually, the, when the organ first met, it was literally dumped out of a truck. Right. It was damaged, but then gets repaired over time, which right. represents the relationship. With um, uh, uh, Barry Egan, another character named yes, Barry Egan, yeah. and and I love how this movie—it's the way I see it—it's more of a social commentary on how we should treat those who are mentally disabled. Because the uh, the the woman, the woman—I I forgot her name—but yeah. she um, like she's the only one who treats him with any form of kindness and yeah. respect, yeah. which is Not basically his seven sisters. Yeah, right? her just <laughs> ring. Oh, God, I hated them so much. Yeah. <laughs> A nightmare, like the lady sister. <laughs> but yeah, like I think, yeah, that, I kind of felt the same way. Like I, I when I first watched it, because like um, that was one of his films that I, I, again, like yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't actually watch it until like maybe like three or four years ago, sure. and I didn't like know anything about it. And then it finally came on the Criterion Collection, and that's why I watched it. I, yeah, I, I got the disc and I watched it at home. Um, but yeah, the, the organ kind of like puzzled me at the start. I was like, yeah, what is yeah. it? And he keeps like revisiting it like every once in a while. Like he'll do his thing and then he comes back and plays it and plays these notes and like he duct tapes it and fixes it and stuff. And yeah, I think uh, I kind of feel a little bit of the same way. It kind of feels like a catalyst or of some sort of him like meeting somebody or changing his life and, and, and 
something like that at least um but one of the things that i i really like i really like was the color the, the mm-hmm. use of color in costumes and like yeah. i didn't really notice it at first but like you know barry's always in blue is uh the i forget the other character's name she's always in red yeah and um and also the great kind of experiments i think is in jeremy blake i'm sorry he's since passed away but like the little like paint stuff that pops mm-hmm. out throughout the movie yeah just as almost like little tra- it's just so well done yeah and it's just like yeah, like the the supermarket being like all white and stuff, and just like such a like pretty film and like just little hints of like like a paintbrush, right? And all yeah. those little like mosaics or whatever the artwork that kind of flows yeah. and stuff and that, that can like bookend certain like sections of the film. Those are like like super beautiful. And so the camera shots too. In fact, the very first scene of the movie is one of uh, Barry in a in a table, and the camera pans to a very wide shot of him, making him look small in comparison, which really shows just how lonely he is. It tells us everything we need to know about the camera. Now, yeah. it's a testament to Anderson's uh, mastery of uh, camera work. One one camera shot can tell an entire paragraph. Yeah, and the use of like uh, <laughs> uh, flares in this film, you know, it's like it's yeah. such a cool like I don't know, like yeah. usually usually I would be bothered by it, but like in here, it's just like you know, it's everywhere. It's just like you know, it's a sunny movie too. Yeah, it's yeah. very sunny. Yeah, like the, the, the little plungers. Yeah, like, all that, and also when you go to Hawaii, of course, it's like that. yeah, right. Like the when he's like running away from like the the thugs and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> like the blue lights and like following him and stuff. Yeah, it's such like a, a really. And it's cool another movie. movie like stuff we're talking about Magnolia and stuff. It's like there's all these like little things like the like the mosaic art like the harmonium and like the use of the songs from Popeye the Robert Altman mm-hmm. Robert Altman Popeye movie the Harry Nielsen songs like he needs me it's yeah. like all these like disparate things and it's like they don't you think on the surface like this one they, these wouldn't all go together but he makes it all cohesive and it's just like it's it's that's inspiring too and some like not like just when I'm doing dumb projects I have all these dumb ideas and try to like bring it all together to make it make sense like it's so well done mm-hmm. Definitely, and also the all of the scenes between uh, Barry and his girlfriend. Some it might like they really did a great job of making the dialogue, but the awkward dialogue sound really authentic without making it sound way too silly or cheesy. Mm-hmm. It actually yeah. works. It really shows how he's very, very childlike. Like, yeah, wow, man. Again, this is probably his most lighthearted film, and I really enjoy this movie. And this is coming from someone who, A, wasn't a huge fan of Adam Sandler movies, and B, <laughs> someone who is really not into rom-coms. No, I more prefer yeah. the, the darkness, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sir, very uplifting at the end. And just, yeah. you know, great love story. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, and one more thing. More, one more special note mentioned to uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman asked the mattress game. <laughs> I, it really oh felt weird God. seeing oh, him play it. such a, a villainous character. So intense. Yeah. So Just screaming shut up, yeah. like the way he does it. <laughs> so... So that's that. The Mattress Man. There's a great thing about Criterion. I think it's all on all that stuff. But like mm-hmm. he did like the Mattress Man commercial, <laughs> yeah. which please look that up if you don't. I'm not gonna spoil it, but yeah. it's just really funny. Yeah, just search up YouTube like Mattress Man commercial. <laughs> you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so good. And just like filming that uh, during this that production, like yeah. oh, let's do yeah. this thing, dumb thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to give too much away. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's worth you know. Right. Oh, and now we move on from the lighthearted to the completely dark with, of course, There Will Be Blood. Now, yeah, this blood. is, wow. Oh, my God. This is, again, this is my favorite film by PTA. And Daniel Day-Lewis, he, there's a reason why he's called one of the greatest actors of our generation. And it's really not hard to see why. 
And and the same thing says for Paul Dano, which I'm really I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the Batman. But Paul Dano, oh, he really does a good job making you hate his guts. He's such a slime ball. Yeah. yeah, weasel. <laughs> Wasn't what was that like his like one of the first films he was in? I uh, he might have been Little Miss Sunshine like right before. Okay, but yeah. like pretty much yeah, one of the yeah. first. Yeah, okay, yeah, like so it, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy how like you know like how do you how do you compete with someone like. Danny Day Lewis, yeah. right? Especially at that age, right? <laughs> and playing both characters. Yeah, he, yeah, he plays he plays brothers. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Matthew, of, oh, sorry, go first. Yeah, one of the, the one of the, I forget the, before like you talk about that, but the score by Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, is like this was the start of that. It was yeah, that's one of like the main highlights from that film. It's just like I, I listen to that that score like every time I write and stuff, and just like oh, yeah. it's such like a uniquely like sad and, and and dark and like melancholic and sometimes like terrifying like piece of like music, and like um, I think he used to uh, um, it, I, it wasn't uh, like nominated for like for like the yes. Oscar because like I think he like used like a, a different. Yeah, um, there's like classical music. pieces in there, and like the uh, Oscar stuff, like such like like sticks up mm. the ass. Is like, oh, there's some pre-existing stuff in there. It's yeah. all original, yeah. which is such a crime. Yeah, it was, it was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, from what I heard, it won best cinematography, which it Robert rightfully Elsa deserved. Is, who he's right. worked with the whole time. I mean, right. I'm talking totally recently, but yes, right. Yeah. And this was well, one of the prime examples of scenery porn, and also. <laughs> It was nominated for Best Picture right here, but it lost, of course, to um, No Country for Old Men. That was that fucking 2007, Mm -hmm. one of the greatest film years ever. (laughs) I was living my life. Incredible. (laughs) It was, yeah. Definitely. And again, like, out of all the protagonists in PTA's films, I feel Daniel Plainview is, he's the most unsympathetic one because he's just this amoral, greedy, sociopath, a social climber. Who yeah. will throw aside everyone, including his own son? Well, not really his son, mm-hmm. just for the sake of, for sake of his own glory. And when I see it, this is a film that's more about materialism versus religion, oil versus religion. And at the end, oil wins, and religion gets its head bashed in with a bowling pin. And also yeah. plays into like he's Paul's done some like so much like ensemble movies up to this point. I mean, Punch Drunk Love was kind of smaller, but still an ensemble. Mm-hmm. But this is like. It's like him in every frame, pretty much, plain view. Like, yeah. and it's just, so you're really in his headspace and him interacting with other characters. And it's just, that's what makes it even darker and deeper. Like, there's no kind of respite from that. Yeah. So it's really just, it's like real character study. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Again, the character is the plot. And and also, <clears> it, <throat> I wonder how much before the other there are actors, especially Paul Dino, because it must be very terrifying working with Daniel Day-Lewis, because the guy, he is oh a method God. actor. Yeah. and Cobbles his own shoes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> and, ooh, ho, ho, and especially that scene where he gets slapped around like a bitch in the church, and he's, I abandoned my boy, I abandoned my child. <laughs> oh, my God, God that was uh, so powerful that's godlike and to paul's point about like phillips Hoffman being so funny in the master of how serious it is like like watching those scenes are like very serious in the moment but like like i abandoned my boy like drainage i drink your <laughs> man like they're like those are like just comedy lines to me now like they make me laugh like and that's not like in t- like it's not and i'm sure like paul like loves that like it's just they're just He's so fucking serious. Yeah. And like the commitment, it's just the commitment, like all of my favorite like comedy stuff is about commitment. Yeah. Whether it's, it's, been, it's just, it's incredible performances. Was, yeah. I, got, mm, I guess we're going to move on to The Master mm. with 
the two masters. And <laughs> I, you know, as you very well know, Ben and Adam, because the master, well, it's very disputed what is Paul Thomas Anderson's best film, but PTA himself said this was his favorite film to make in sure. years. And it's really not hard to see why. Everything about it, like the acting, Joaquin Phoenix, holy shit, he was amazing. And this is coming from a guy who has see, seen Joker first. Yeah. And this is coming from his kind of comfort, from his wilderness years. I'm, I'm still here. Like the David Lehrman appearance when he like he went like completely incognito. I think this is one of the first movies he did like after that, because I think, as I recall, like he went back to Lehrman to promote the master and so much of it was just like rehashing, like you act like such an asshole in my <laughs> talk show last time you were here. And just like, then, then now it's the Joaquin we know now, like, you know, his yeah. amazing run he's been on. But I think Matt, I'm pretty sure the master was the start of like the resurgence of like, you know, he put away the rap career and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, shoot, he's kind of been like on the roll since then for sure. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Master is like always like a like an interesting point because like yeah, that was like when that film came out. Like that was at the time I became aware of PTA, and like <clears throat> it was like I was telling um, uh, Nick about this before like we started. <clears throat> it was the first film I was like I wanted to go see, but like there's at the time right. there was no screenings, well, none that I can find up here in Calgary. So I was really bummed. I had to wait yeah. until like it released on like uh, DVD and stuff to like actually watch it. <clears throat> but um. I don't know. It, it it seems such like a like I was, I was saying before. It's such like a like a, a journey with this character with like these different scenes stitched together and like just seeing like the the way that it was made and stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the scenes that didn't make it into into the film. Yeah. It's like it's really. <clears throat> I remember when it came out. Um, PTA was released in trailers of the masters. Yes. He and cut like, himself. Yeah, he cut, he cut them himself, and they were just like these little vignettes of like this character, and like just really. I don't know. It it, it got me because I was like I was like geeking out on yeah. PTA at the time. I was like, like, what is this like film about? Yeah. It was like <clears throat> walking and like um oh, there's one he was like at this like river, sort of like washing up. Yeah. And then he runs and he he, he jumps on like a truck. And like another one where he's like in, on, on a ship. And yeah. like another one he's like talking to some sweetheart and stuff. And it was like a cool way of a cool like way of marketing like a film. And I was hooked. And like at that point it. too, like Paul hadn't released a movie in forever. Mm -hmm. There would be was 2007 and was it the master like 2010 2011 uh, 2012 yes. 2012 yeah. so yeah so what a gap yeah so was, yes. the anticipation was high yeah yes. yeah again this, um, this is one of philip seymour hoffman's best performances as well he like, the way i see this, this is a film that's more about that i feel many of us have got an experience we've all gone through which is existentialism trying to figure out what is our purpose in life because one thing I've learned is that life can be like a puzzle box, really. And we don't usually have all the, the pieces of the puzzle. Sometimes we may find it, sometimes we may not. But it's the journey that makes it all the more exciting, really. And this is what it is. And really, the moral, basically, I took got from it is that we there is no such thing as a master. We don't need a master in our lives. We cannot change people. It's up to us to change ourselves, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm very it's very deep I, I love i love deep movies the, the best kind of stories are usually the ones that talk more about about us really i think i feel the one about who we are and most importantly who we can be as people mm -hmm. yeah i think like yeah i think out of like all of them well for me at least like the master has like changed for me ever since i've seen it <clears throat> like I, yeah. I like to visit every once like every once or twice like a year and stuff and like it like it changes for me one thing yeah. that i really didn't like i didn't really pick up on like when i first watched it was like just like um <clears throat> the master his character like <laughs> just like the different like 
um, you can tell he's a person who's like trying to like, you know, he, he's in charge of like this cause and stuff. And like people are trying to like, even his own followers are trying to like, trying to understand like what he's talking about. So like, you know, when he releases the second book and stuff, he's yeah. like, you know, you changed something here. Like <clears throat> there's these moments of him, like, you know, before he goes up on stage, you know, he looks nervous and stuff. And like, <clears throat> I don't know, like there's a point in the film where his son says, you know, he's making it up as he goes along. Mm-hmm. And th- that kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, but like looking at it from that perspective, that that kind of changed the film for me. It's like, you know, maybe he is making it up or maybe he's like, committed committed to it and stuff like that so yeah right yeah so although the movie doesn't really of course say it explicitly or word for word it's it's like Scientology right like it's like these people that the cause they're 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 pagans right like they fall non-religious they follow these kinds of beliefs that are foreign to us and try to convert people to their cause like that's the how I how I saw it like this film is a sometimes true art Yeah. can be incomprehensible. Mm. That's a good way to yeah. yeah. You definitely get more out of it every time you watch The Master, for sure. Like, some of the more, because other movies are more immediate, like, you get it right away. But, like, this is, like, like, I loved on first view, but, like, uh, disappo- I wasn't disappointed. That's extreme. But just, like, it was just, like, I don't know. But just the more I watch it, the more, you know, you fully understand it, get, it gets deeper and stuff. But, yeah. It's a, like, The Master is, like, one of the most, like, troubled relationships I've had in a PTD film because like, yeah, I got the same with like Ben here. Like it's changed for me um, for better and for worse. Like it, it, at times it does feel like I said, inconsequential, <laughs> you know, yeah. just ready, you know, we go towards this cause and kind of goes back to, you know, hugging sand sculptures, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mm-hmm. know it's, it's a, it's a film that I'm still pondering to this day and I'm, you know, it's one of my favorites for sure. I think Anderson <laughs> would take that as a huge compliment. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Right, and oh my god, like, we have talked like five movies in, and we still haven't gotten to the very beginning, the first film, because Hard Eight, like, I think many yeah. of the director's first films, like same with Reservoir Dogs for Tarantino or Following for Nolan, they're not the ones that get too much attention as opposed to their mm-hmm. later films, but Hard Eight, it feels, it feels very different aside from the shorter runtime of course he also it's... fought with a studio maker like a smaller studio man he wanted to call it sydney which is the Philip baker hall character you want to call it sydney which funny thing uh, midnight run which Philip baker hall was in the great robert de niro charles Grodin movie Philip baker hall the character in that movie is named sydney so like there's like a weird like kind of reference there that is like this oh. serious fucking movie he's, he's removed from midnight run the great comedy but that's beside the point but just yeah like so like He talks not negatively, like he was a good experience, but like, and I think a lot of what he, like his cut is in there, but like, I think it, it was a thing like, like he'd come from like the Sundance Labs and like a studio picked it up and just like, uh, but then, then he ended up, I think that's even more for the Magnolia experience, like having final cut, like finally having that after all that, but uh, Heart Aid is really good though. It's yes. really good. Yes. In fact, out of all of his films, I feel Heart Aid is probably his most linear film, his most like, very more uh, simplistic storytelling and it helps he was very young when he made his film I believe like yeah. in his uh, late 20s or early 30s he was in his 20s made uh, when he made that big Bo- Boogie Nights and Magnolia yeah. which is oh, insane impressive very impressive yeah and yeah well it feels it reminds me a lot a bit of uh, Quentin Tarantino mixed with a Martin Scorsese film too it feels very like 
noir driven, like a, oh, a crime thriller film. And it helps too. It has Samuel L. Jackson in the movie yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, you forget that hit, uh, and Gwyneth too. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, it's like Gwyneth crazy. Paltrow. Like, oh man. Yes, especially yeah, seeing them at that <clears throat> at that point in their careers, like they're yeah, like Samuel Jackson making all these like yeah. small roles and cameos and stuff. It's just, yeah, it's such a such a cool movie. It definitely feels like a first film for me. Like yeah, it, like, yeah, for sure. Like it feels like a like a like a I don't know like a sculpture. He's kind of like sort of in the hang of it. And definitely. Stuff. And like it was like um, again back to like Robert Ellswick. It was like his first collaboration from there to like I don't know what Hair Vice was it. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it definitely feels like a, an establishing of like you know of like texture and like tone and stuff and like the way he frames stuff. I think he wanted this to shoot it on anamorphic, but like right. he didn't have the the budget to, so they shot it on spherical. Yeah, but I think when I when I was watching it last night, they did have like a black bar at the top and bottom. But yeah. it, it's interesting, like since then, from like Boogie Nights all the way to There Be Blood, it was like all anamorphic. Yeah, it was like the the black bars on the top and kind of yeah. Yeah. Anyways, geeking out. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love Robert Ellsworth. He's such like. A, oh, he's incredible. Yeah, he's, he's big influence on me. Yeah. yeah, which is a bummer. Not to, I, I granted was this uh, gossip corner. Like I, don't, <laughs> I there, there might be a fall. There's a falling out between the mm. two of them because like, yeah. Paul shot Phantom Threat himself. Well, I think he's when people say, "Oh, did you shoot yourself?" And then he got really mad saying that, like he like he had all these camera operators, so it's like to say he shot himself. But like I know the Licorice Pizza was a similar thing. How he did Phantom Thread, yeah. so like, I don't know. Like, hopefully, like they, they rekindle because yeah. they're great collaborators. But yeah, you don't know. Yeah, and and we got Inherent Vice, which I haven't seen just yet. So let's reverse the roles now. You be the host, and I'm the guest. So not any spoilers, but what is like a Inherent Vice? <laughs> like of all movies, do this with too. Like it's just like um because it's based on the Thomas Pynchon novel. Um, like he's a Doc Spratello, what Joaquin thinks of kind of like detective in sixties six late sixties, seventies LA. Mm. And he's like trying to solve this thing. But it's like to your thing about like and like you're mentioning a lot of character stuff and that I adore that stuff. I I'm like anti plot, like in general. Like I love character stuff and like character moments and like so like there's pits in like the plot of the mystery. And so like I don't know what the fuck is happening. Like I don't understand any of this. But it's just like you're in, like yeah. you're enjoying it because yeah. like you're enjoying the characters and the character moments and that's what you get out of it to me. At least yeah. in the, and also the larger theme of like it's kind of the death of the sixties, the death like kind of the hippie idealism and then like the real estate kind of corporate bulldozing in Los Angeles. So it's kind of a sad story there. Like there's a great Neil Young song, like in a great pivotal moment. Catherine mm-hmm. Waterston was cast in, mm-hmm. in an early role for her. Um, all over the place. Um, very briefly, when I saw something in a contest screening in Heron Vice, um, someone brought a baby to it. <laughs> and like the, as sometimes happens, as you know, with babies, uh, cried like midway and just, <laughs> yeah. Of all movies, <laughs> a baby too, and it's just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be interesting. <laughs> well, at least they didn't bring a baby to a mother. That oh boy, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the same thing. Like with with uh, with Ben, yeah, it's just, it's just an experience. You gotta like just buy a ticket, take the ride. You know, yeah. like, don't get too caught up in like trying to like, you know, yeah. Follow everything, you know. It's you're following his dog Sportel and his acid trip throughout, you know. Shaggy Los dog Angeles. story, and like oh, there's been there was comparison when the novel came out, and also it's like Big Lebowski, The Long Goodbye, Robert Altman, like all those kind of 
very shaggy dog kind yeah. of detective things where like there is a plot there is a mystery happening and like but it's it's so secondary yeah. it's so secondary yeah. huh and again yeah ensemble cast there's so many good like parts in that oh movie. my god it's yeah, insane Benicio del Toro uh, oh, <laughs> Reese Brolin. Witherspoon yeah Reese Witherspoon which yeah, is yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. Owen Wilson like it's yeah. insane <laughs> right hmm well I guess it leaves us with the very last of PTA's work and that's of course Phantom Thread mm. His most recent film. Wait, I didn't see it. I gotta say that. I, I, I yeah. I, I was meaning to for this, but I now no time. Yeah. One way we we won't get do any spoilers. No. So, uh, <laughs> no. so again, as I was here, I'm Daniel Day Lewis plays uh, uh, a dressmaker who. You mean Reynolds Woodcock? Reynolds Woodcock, <laughs> which was a Daniel Day Lewis idea for his name, which I adore. <laughs> Reynolds Woodcock. Well, much harder to learn than Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> and who falls in love with uh, this uh, much younger woman called Alma, yeah. and what starts out as a simple fairy tale marriage suddenly devolves into something—a very complicated relationship. Like a muse. It's the thing about the muse thing, and like he's always like he's at the fashion house, the House of Woodcock, which literally is what I'm not making. It's like it's. I'm trying to be serious. Like, literally, it's the House of Woodcock, and again, this is why Paul like. This is why he's not like a snobby asshole. Like he yeah. he knows what he's doing with this. Like he's making. <laughs> anyway, like yeah. So like he like the movie kind of starts briefly. Like he had like his previous muse is kind of like not kicked out, but just whatever. And then he meets this one, this new person, and goes through the whole process of that. And just yeah, I, that's why I don't want to get into the details. But it's like, well, actually, very briefly. I, I'm just. I think. I think this is not spoilery, but just like the inspiration from the movie came from his marriage to Maya Rudolph, at a point where um, Paul was very sick. He was very sick with like kind of stuff, and like Maya just you know like like kind of took care of. Like he kind of like lost like all kind of like thing. Like not like serious sick. Like you know, food poisoning stuff. Um. And so Maya like really looked after him like as the wife and just like like really take and don't and it was just thinking like. That kind of germ of a thing came into um, the movie. This is, I don't know I'm going into this, but just, well, it will make sense when you watch it out. Yeah. But just, it's just, <laughs> yeah. but it's like a movie kind of like, like is like a marriage thing and just, um, yeah, I love it. Very, very realistic, one of the most realistic portrayals of marriage I have ever seen as well. You know how they go. We start out as a fairy tale, but sometimes it, it changes for better or for worse. Mm which is why marriage is one of those things I've thrown out the window a long, long time ago. <laughs> joke. <laughs> joke. Um, yeah, like, this is, like, I saw us in the theaters, loved it, but this is, a, like, similar to, Ma like, I mean, like, different than Master, because, like, I was saying, like, Master, like, I was trying to, like, comprehend it, because it's such, like, kind of a puzzle box movie. This is less of that. It's, it's only kind of straightforward, in a way. Like, it's okay. really kind of straightforward movie, but the more I've watched, and I've watched it, I've actually watched it twice in this his actual very school, but this is another thing that's it's on. I'm not going to get into that, but like, it is generally like top tier one of his movies for me, and like I I really adore it. Like the more I, it, it's it's just it's calm and soothing, and like it's so deep. Daniel Dale Lewis like performance and maybe not be as showy as a Daniel Plainview, but it's such because he's such a master of an actor. Like it's no less of an amazing like achievement, despite that, like, you know. And just I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really you have to check it out. It's so I will, good. I will, yeah. And also kudos as well to the 
the costume design as well. It they really captured the style, the tone of during that during that time, which I believe was the the seventeenth century. I, I'm I'm guessing or eighteenth century. Uh, uh, I, I think it's it's, it's it's like early nineteen hundreds. Oh, holy! Well, yeah, it's like, it's like the fifties. Yeah, fifties. Yeah, yeah. 50s, but, but and they, that's the thing. Like Mark Bridges, he won the Oscar for costume design, and it's like they couldn't f that up. Why did why, they couldn't fuck that up? Because that literally, it's part of what the movie's about. He's a yeah. fashion designer, and like you have to nail that. Yeah. And it shows they really like amazing detail on the the costumes. Like they really fit the the, the time the time period was set in. They even have scenes where the. Uh, Woodcock is uh is me is measuring. It's so precise, so methodical. Oh, yeah. And I watched this with my mom, and she she loved it as well. Cause my mom, she's really into into fashion, and yeah. she used to be into training fashion design as well. Back when she was uh studied ballet, and oh, no it really and I regrettably when she first watched it I actually walked out of this because I felt not my type of film because it's a period piece but yeah. I rectified that by <laughs> watching it as my first film during the quarantine and I actually it was really great loved it oh wow. it's incredible yes. Yes. Um, I thought I was going to say something but maybe I'll come to it and and he didn't, and of course, uh, this one, uh, PTA, he was nominated for Best Director and even Best Picture for this film. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, not, well, not really unfortunately, but it lost to Guillermo del Toro and The Shape of Water back in sure. 2017. But still, what a, what a film. Wow. Yeah, like legit one of my favorites. I think I made this thing, like I make like these bold claims and stuff. I'm like, no, don't think it through, but I'll just commit. I think it was my favorite film of last decade. Like it's just the more I've watched it, like it's just, it's so good. Like of the the whole decade or the twenty tens, yeah. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and awesome. another pattern was all of majority of PDA's film. They take place during different time periods. It's the seventies, uh, the the oil plantation era, the gold rush. Like it really feels, and he really painted it a very authentic, very he's very precise in everything from the production design, the costume, the characters. Mm -hmm. It's wow, this is really. Uh, an auteur in the making. I feel he he is definitely the this modern day Stanley Kubrick. Also, of course, with none of his nature. <laughs> yeah. And also look forward to Zadam, similar to the movies, but I think there's an incredibly funny fan thread, which you might not think. You look at the poster. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Like okay. out of control funny. <laughs> <laughs> and since we talked about the past and the present, now time to get to the future. Licorice Pizza. Now First off, I've seen, I'm a huge fan of Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is one of my favorite actors working today. And having seen the trailer for Licorice Pizza, it, my God, it, first off, it looks really beautiful. And I watched it twice and I still have no idea what this movie is even about. <laughs> and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. Well, there's just so much, like, uh, not to get really wanky, but I guess it's the space to be wanky, I don't know what I'm saying. I feel like he made this movie for me. Because it's like 70s, like, he's going back to the San Fernando Valley shit, yeah. which I adore. It's like, I know he's cribbing from Amy Heckerling's Fast Time and Bridge on High. And on a previous podcast, I went through an entire filmography. So, like, and it's like those kind of mm -hmm. content, which I adore. Uh, Bradley Cooper is playing John Peters, a film producer um, who uh, was with Barbara Streisand in The Star is Born. And I come from a Barbara Streisand household. Like, the star, <laughs> that, that, that is the defendant of The Star is Born, the Barbara Streisand one. I adore it. And just so, like, the fact he, and he's just nailed John Peters. And, like, mm. so good. And then, oh, there's so much. But then the other thing I kind of, doing research on, it, and I don't think it's a spoiler, but the, uh, the Cooper Hoffman character is uh, based off of Gary Getzman, 
who was a child actor, um, who later became a film producer. He's Tom Hanks' producing partner on Playtone, and he was all that. But um, he ended up working, like, he was, like, his star, star as a child actor, and his first kind of gig in the industry after that was working for one Jonathan Demme. Stop making sense. And so he, Jonathan Demme died, like, as he was making Phantom Thread, and the movie, the movie was dedicated to him. So I think, like, I don't know if it's for sure. I am, like... I know the reviews are up. I haven't got into it, but there might be some exercising of like in a good way of like all of that stuff, like his childhood and all that, his hero and all that stuff. Like, so I can only like, like in terms of being a personal movie, like it's gonna be off the fucking charts yeah. and just like, and also like, in the in the past few four years, I'm just gonna stop talking at some point. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's done like all these music videos for Haim, who I love Haim. He's directed like at least six of their videos. Um, shot actually their album cover for the last album, Women in the Music. Um, and so Alana Haim is the star of this movie who's never acted in a movie before. And I from the little again, glimpses of reviews I've seen, like she like like owns it. And just like just I think it's just from like the natural performances and stuff, like you're mentioning, Nick, like like you don't have to have like a 20 year career, especially mm -hmm. if you're playing like these young characters and just bringing the realism. I think like actually the other Heim sisters are going to be in it briefly, like to play her family. So like, you're really just like, there's just so much to it. Like I can't even like, I'm I'll, yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> I'm very excited. No, no, really. That, that, that's a good thing. Let the height flow through you. Ben. Also in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, <laughs> there's a scene where they're like, cause Licorice Pizza is named after a record store in LA. There's Licorice Pizza in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, and yeah, may I remind you, who's also in Licorice Pizza is Sean Penn Spicoli. Yeah. <laughs> so just it's <laughs> and right. And you mentioned to me before that Licorice Pizza it's going back to his to Paul Thomas Anderson's roots, his uh, boogie nights days, Magnolia too, Ma like Magnolia the, too. all the San Fer yeah San Fernando Valley. He grew up and just I'm, which again I love the movies that made sense. Like obviously, like I'm not like, but just. Like that's where I fell in love with those movies, like that that era of PTA, and just that it is like it does seem to be like one of his sweetest movies. I'm getting it's a shame we haven't seen it, so just we could talk more definitively. Yeah. It's, it's it seems like one of his sweetest ones. It's certainly at least unless there's a blindside thing, not a heavy movie, which I think is great, but it's going to be incredibly personal and just yeah. I, I just I think it's perfect. I just I'm just excited. And very briefly, I don't think I mentioned this, but I, I want to get this in because I find it inspiring and this shows you what an icon class he is. And I, as we, again, we're in a broadcasting program where we have to use script programs. He has written every single script he's ever made on Microsoft Word. Every <laughs> single script he's ever written. Wow. Think about There Will Be Blood written on Microsoft Word. He's trying to write Microsoft Word and Clippy is popping up with suggestions. <laughs> Incredible. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like a return to form. Like I'm, I'm really excited for it. Like um, I it, like the the era of like like Magnolia Boogie Nights. It's it's a point where I'm like, well, I I started in like Derby Blood onwards, and then yeah. I went back to revisit this. But now that you know, I I, I have been like watching some interviews from him, and <clears throat> he's he's talking with Cooper and uh, um, Anna Haim, and it he keeps talking about how personal it is to go back to this point, yeah. this period, and like the characters and stuff like that. And that's what I'm super excited about because like <clears throat> like the films that I make are obviously very personal to me. I'm very interested and excited for PTA to go back and be yeah. personal. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited about. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. And having watched all of his films, which has been quite 
it's been quite a journey as well, and I gotta thank it to Ben as well, since from his shared drive of all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films. <laughs> and yeah, it really also changed me as well. Like I now know how to I become less and less picky in my taste of films. Like I don't care anymore about long run times or even about plotless stories, which I've seen once upon a time in Hollywood, by the way, which at first I didn't appreciate because of its plotless story, but now I love it. Because mm. it feels like we're watching, it's like a day in a life is how I describe PTA's films. Like we're watching the life of these characters unravel, following in their footsteps. We're not just watching a movie, but we are being with these characters. Yes, a lot of a lot of pathos, a lot of art. It's genius, really. And personally, I wouldn't say Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite director of all time, but I respect the man because of his humble contribution to cinema. It's non-conventional, his work, really. And I gotta respect him for that, really. Yeah. As a person and as a filmmaker. You're mentioning a lot of movies. I'm sorry, I had to dig out. Again, I didn't want to botch this quote because I've done enough botching <laughs> quotes. So I want to get the exact wording right. Of, uh, the, uh, Roger Ebert said this about movies, well, links and movies. And I think it's very true. No good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough. <laughs> well, well, well. Well, I should put that in my slogan for my show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and also one final question as well for you guys. If said food existed, would you ever like a taste of licorice pizza? I mean, I, I, I love pizza. It's a top tier food. Like It's a fam thread of food, apparently. I use top tier for both. Um, I like a lick. I like a red licorice. Oh. Oh, I've just had a fucking brainwave again. Sorry, I'm. This is gonna. Get, I'm gonna get to Amy Mann. Bring back to Magnolia. He, she wrote this song called Red Vines, um, inspired, which is actually about Paul Thomas Anderson. It's a great song on her album Bachelor Number Two. Came out in 1999. Amy's Magnolia. It was about her kind of like like he's always saw going to Seven Eleven, getting cigarettes and red vines, and like the combination of those two things. And so actually, when the the premier Paul Thomas Anderson website is called Cigarettes and Red Vines after that song, after like he had those things, but just, yeah, I just realized licorice and all that. He, lo he loves Red Vines, so. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Tangent. <laughs> and also I heard that Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was an original title for Licorice Pizza, uh, Soggy Bottom, I believe it was called. Yeah, that might have just been a working title, though, because, you know, they want to keep things laying low kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But maybe, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, I remember I saw an interview, he was like saying, like, <laughs> like someone asked him about the, the title and he was like, uh, I don't know, we were just, it just kind of came to a point where it was like, no one had any good ideas and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and like, <laughs> it was like not, not, to like, not to think too hard about it. And just yeah. The title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Key of a uh, title is being memorable and you can't forget that title. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. yeah. And, as one final note about Paul Thomas Anderson, and I think applies for all of us content creators and filmmakers, is that the, because as you know, his films are very low in the box office, but who gives a damn about that? Because the, the success of a film isn't measured by the success of the money you earn. Because oh, it's not. all about, it's the art, man. You know, it's filmmaking. The majority of movies I like bombs. So just, I'm used to that. So just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all about the, not just the art, but also the heart as as well, too. Like, Paul Thomas Anderson, his, his films might not be for everybody, but good Lord, does he make them so well? Really? Yeah. It's, they're all beautiful, both thematically and aesthetically, but above all else, thematically. 
And not that this is like a, a needs to happen, but just like, again, you've mentioned the Oscars. He's been nominated for Best Director many times. I would hopefully he wins that one day. I would love that. Yeah. But I mean, this whole thing like David Fincher, like he hasn't won either. And just like, yeah, that's up. That, that, that's again an Oscars tangent, but so anyway. And neither yeah. has no one. And I will never forgive the Academy for giving him that pleasure. No, yeah. never, <laughs> never. Yeah. So there's definitely a long list of people. Oh, definitely, yes. I'm definitely looking forward to like a PTA Oscar speech. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just like wondering what he would, yeah. Oh, and he would take it. Not to bring to Magnolia. There's a great gift you can find it because when Magnolia, again, like, love it, but he was feeling himself. <laughs> like, that was, he was like, I made the greatest movie. And again, he's admitted this. I'm not telling tales. The Coke years, fully on that. He's with he's with Fiona Apple, who I adore. Fiona Apple, they were together at the time. That was hers. That was his date to the Oscars. And there's mm. a great you could look this up, and it's because I forget which in which award he lost. Maybe it was a screenplay of Fiona just consoling Paul in the mm. like like really? you know visibly disappointed that he lost. Oh, wow. And so you have Fiona like just like <laughs> just incredible. Oh man! On catch on camera for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Again, if I really like, he's really a great guy to to work with. Really, like, in fact, I've had this dream a couple of nights ago where <laughs> I've had I was preparing for a film, and you're not gonna believe who I saw. I saw none other than Stanley Kubrick himself, and he wow. and he asked <laughs> me, "Would hey, um, this really looks very ambitious. Would you ever like to? Would you like me to collaborate? Would you like me to give you some advice? Give me the <laughs> um, no, thank you very much. No, thank you. Yeah. Like, no, there's back. He's really scary. He's, he's scary. No, yeah. don't bring up COVID to Kubrick. He wouldn't yeah, get. No. He wouldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> And with all that said, that's all the time we have left for today's show. Thank you so much, Ben and Adam, for coming here. Looking forward to do this episode. It was a pleasure. Anytime, anytime. And for today's advice, don't forget, drink your milkshake. (laughs) Just drink it up. And other than that, this has been Sin City Live for CMRU.ca and Feel Out Images. Good night, everyone, and see you next week, same time as always. On the next episode of Sin City, it is almost Christmas time, folks, and what better family film to remember than Parasite? And I ain't talking about no goddamn bad bugs, son. I'm talking about Boon Joon Ho's masterpiece next Thursday. Tune into Sin City as they give the very first Oscar-winning non-English film the respect it so much deserves. Only on CMRU.ca, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Come with us. Join us.